Hey, welcome back to Mobile First. I'm your host, Jordan Bryant. Every week, I sit down with industry leaders to unlock how they are creating effective mobile experiences that make an impact for their businesses so that you can understand the perspective and tactics to replicate their success. If you're new to the show, Mobile First is the media child of Emerge Interactive, a digital experience company with two decades of creating highly performing digital products out of Portland, Oregon. We believe that every digital product owner deserves a clear vision, plan of action, and the right capabilities to create effective digital experiences that help to increase sales and performance. This week on Emerge Mobile First, a conversation with Lax Srini, co-founder and CTO at Zenefits. Hey, like, wouldn't it be cool if you could hire somebody and could completely onboard them without a piece of paper, without them having to write their name, social, date of birth, address 16 times and 16 pieces of paper. And wouldn't it be even cooler if they got automatically set up with health insurance, with payroll, with time tracking, with vacation tracking, with all these other systems. And wouldn't it be even more cooler if you could create their work email, add them to Slack, add them to GitHub, add them to Asana and all these other systems. And they come in the first day and everything is all set. They're ready to go. Lax is the co-founder and CTO of Zenefits. Since the company's founding in 2013, Lax has led and helped expand Zenefits' business, which serves tens of thousands of companies. Prior to Zenefits, Lax served as a software engineer at Sigfig and a project leader at DE Shaw & Co. Lux, thank you for joining us. I'm really excited to have you here. Thank you for having me. Yeah, absolutely. So before diving into your experience to understand what you're up to is benefits. We'd like to pause for just a moment to get to know your perspective. So what are you most passionate about in your profession and why? I think technology is a great equalizer. It's a little sad that it's gone a little other, other ways like these days, mm -hmm. but I think it's a great enabler. It's a great equalizer. It can solve big problems and it also creates a certain set of equality that otherwise you don't have. And so what created that for you? this understanding and desire to be a, a technologist. And I can't imagine as a 10-year-old, you're sitting there thinking of being the CTO of Zenefits. So, uh, you know, what about your path that created this in you? The most honest answer is I was just good at it when I was a kid. Hmm. So I kind of like kept at it. It was also a lot of fun. My dad had this like 486 computer in his office, like used to go there, play some games. And then we were like, this is like really bad. Let's make this better. So me and my friend created like a DOS environment. And this was before the Windows 3.1 days. And it just felt like a lot of fun. And you had complete control and you could manipulate things and make it do what you want. So I, I enjoyed that. And so what age were you about when you were messing with those computers and things? I was probably 13, 14. And I saw in your history, you you know pursued that knowledge when you went to school and then your first couple jobs afterwards were as a software engineer. So what about it kept you on the path? Because I also know, you know, other individuals have started there and, and taken a different path. So what about it kept you in this path? So I did my master's in software engineering. It was just a lot of fun. Like we learned a lot of stuff about a lot of things. And I went to do master's in software engineering during 2000. It was when people were screaming and ditching computer science and going to study electronics and mechanical engineering and other stuff. But I went and did it anyway because it was kind of fun. So right out of college, I joined a hedge fund called DE Shaw. It was kind of not really a technology company per se, but they were using technology to solve big problems. Hmm. Having worked there for seven years, I can truly say 
it was one of those places where people who were developing the technology were treated as equal to anybody in the front office making investment decisions. It was also one of those cool places in New York where you could a trader could walk in using wearing shorts and no suits policy. <laughs> so that was I mean it was fun. But I also learned that the merit that a good idea can come from anywhere. I was an intern there and I was solving some problems that weren't really that great. Like it was about Outlook and automation, but I just solved something and said that like, hey, I solved this thing. And then uh, somebody else wrote saying, hey, like we spoke to Microsoft and they said this couldn't be solved. And I said like, that's bullshit. Here's a solution. <laughs> I mean, little did I know that I was talking to like the head of systems and head of tech there at that time. But he took it in a very positive way. Oh, that's awesome. And they gave me like a bonus when I was two months in as an intern. So I think a good idea can come from anywhere and a good idea has merit. And like that was like a great learning there. And I really enjoyed working with some of the smartest people that I still have worked with and learned a lot of life lessons. Like don't play poker with a Russian bond trader. <laughs> it was great. Like we were doing almost a startup within a startup, reimagining how all of their back office would work redoing and replatforming all that stuff. People were still logging into Unix and running scripts to do stuff. And we kind of bought that all into a website where you can go and access information really easily. And uh, towards the end, we were modeling securities and a whole bunch of stuff. But at the end of the day, I kind of wanted to do something more than just making more money with money. It didn't feel like it was very useful to the world at large. Mm -hmm. So I went to work for a startup called Sigfig. Um, which is in San Francisco, they do personal finance. It was like a mint for brokerages. I kind of went there because I naively thought that I didn't want to lose all this information of finance in my head and it's it has to be used in some way and all this knowledge I've accumulated will just go to waste otherwise. But it was fun. It was a small team. It was probably one of the best experiences I've had because we had eight engineers there and all of them were kick-ass and all of them are now running their own companies today. But that's also where I met my co-founder, Parker. From there, the idea for Zenefits came about and, and we started. Was that a big jump from you going from being an employee to then owning and starting a company? It didn't feel quite that way mm -hmm. because I don't think we were thinking about it quite that way. It was like, hey, there's this problem. It's really painful to run a business and People usually start companies because they have a dream mm -hmm. and they want to go achieve it. And once that dream becomes larger than themselves, now they have to hire people and file their paperwork and offer them benefits, like pay them paychecks and so on and so forth. And I've been managers and run large teams. And at SIGFIG, Parker was one of the founders and most of the administrative stuff like floats to the top. So he was running payroll. He explained insurance to me and he hated it. And I hated all the administrative stuff that I had to do as a manager. So we were like, there has to be a better way to do this. And that's kind of where it all stemmed from. And it seemed like a good idea. It seemed like it would help people. And that's kind of where it all started. We, I wasn't thinking about, oh man, I'm going from being an employee to an owner and a founder. I think it's about finding problems that you like and that you think you can make an impact. Can you talk a little bit about what that transition was like for you, though, in, in stepping into this role to where now you are CTO, you are you know, seen as one of the biggest leaders in the company? Yeah, it, I don't think I feel it every day, but often once in a while, like when I look up and see, like it feels really kind of humbled and grateful and surprising and crazy that I'm the CTO and founder at Genefits. Mm -hmm. But 
mostly like you're just going with the flow in terms of making decisions and solving problems and and making changes like one by one by one mm-hmm. like try to do some stuff from first principles some stuff from best practices we we hired some great people surrounded ourselves with amazing people that that helped us like come where we are and so for those that may not know what Zenefits is can you give us a quick description of who you guys are and what you do it it all started out as a simple idea and a question that we asked ourselves which is like hey like wouldn't it be cool if you could hire somebody and could completely onboard them without a piece of paper, without them having to write their name, social, date of birth, address 16 times and 16 pieces of paper. And wouldn't it be even cooler if they got automatically set up with health insurance, with payroll, with time tracking, with vacation tracking, with all these other systems? And wouldn't it be even more cooler if you could trade their work email, add them to Slack, add them to GitHub, add them to Asana and all these other systems? And they come in the first day and everything is all set. They're ready to go. That's kind of the question that we asked ourselves. And not just that, but also to deal with the associated paperwork and compliance and regulatory stuff that that comes along with it. Right? If you're running a flower shop, you should lose sleep over whether you have daisies or orchids or sunflowers. Right? You shouldn't be losing sleep over whether you have paid somebody on time or whether your employee's kid has been added to the health insurance and so on and so forth. And I think that was the biggest motivation. And that's what we do at Zenefits. Like we take away all the pain from running a business so that you can just focus on your business and and we take care of everything else. Some of the nice side effects are, there's this entire rhetoric and, and it's not wrong about how regulations are harming small businesses and it makes it harder and harder to do business every day. Regulations are good, like they're there for a reason. It helps protect employees, the environment, and that's a good thing. But at the same time, the reason it doesn't work so well is there are four and a half to six million small businesses in the U.S., depending on how you define it. And all of them have to deal with the same regulations one by one. And often they call some lawyers who are really expensive and they probably give them bad advice and they end up paying a penalty. A penalty of $25,000 could kill a small business, right? Instead, if you had somebody like Zenefits who was sitting in the middle learning about all these new regulations, like finding out the best practices, how to apply it to each industry. And if you're able to apply it across en masse, like we make it really easier for both sides because it's a win, it becomes a win-win situation rather than small businesses struggling or regulators like struggling to like just enact good regulation and laws. That was another nice side effect of like why Zenefits was going to be really, really useful. But if anybody had told us back then like that this would be the successful this fast, I would have just laughed. <laughs> so, I mean, it's a pretty big vision when you describe it. You know, th- there was a big pain that you saw and, and you, you saw a, a, an entity that could step in and solve all of those problems for all these business owners. How did you go about validating that? And what are some of the steps that you took to put the plan and strategy together to, to move this vision into execution mode? Yeah, I think, I think one of the things that I kind of missed out there, which really helped us grow was, so this was late 2012. As we were talking about this, we heard a whole bunch of insurance brokers through mutual acquaintances like complaining about how this Obamacare was going to come online in January 2014. It was bad business for them. Their commissions are going to go down. They're going to stop working with small businesses. So we were like, hmm, that's interesting. How much money do you guys make? And they said they make anywhere between $500 to $700 per employee per year. And we were like, that's a lot of money. And a couple of provisions from the Affordable Care Act 
made it possible for us to build a kayak-style health insurance coating engine, which was possible in 2012 in New York and California alone. But that became a nationwide thing with the, with the advent of affordable kayak. So we figured if we could, health insurance and benefits cost is one of the biggest expenses for businesses. If we could make it easy for them to get health insurance and offer health insurance to their employees, and we could make money, 500 to $700 of this health insurance and being a broker, we could just give away the rest of the software for free. And that's what we did in the early days. Because this was something that small businesses didn't have, if you're above 1,000 employees, you have the workdays, the SAPs, the oracles, and man, you could hire 100 people to do this stuff for you. Mm-hmm. But if you're less than that, there was really nothing available for small businesses to solve these problems. And often like, it ended up getting in the way of them growing their business or having additional expenses to deal with this stuff. And most businesses have some temporary stuff that either augments like to do HR or accounting and all of this stuff so that they can actually run their business without having the fear of like paying a penalty or being in violation of regulations. So I think it there was a need. It was free so that it had low friction to use. And I guess we were at the right time and the right place. <laughs> So what I'm hearing is kind of these steps that were taken. So you had this vision and then almost the immediate next step was validating there's a business case for it, right? And talking to yeah. these business owners, it's, it's yeah, this, there's this problem. It sucks. We, you feel it, they feel it, you talk to them. Now it's okay. There's, there's a problem here, but is it worth solving? And because it has to financially make sense, it has to support itself and be sustainable. And, and so you did, you know, checked into the business case. And then what was that next step? What was that first product that you came to market with to support that? need? So we got into Y Combinator the winter 2013 batch. There was a lot of good reasons to do that. But one of the most important reasons is uh, distribution, because we could sell to other Y Combinator companies, like we have software that sells to companies and makes it easier to run businesses. And these are some of the most like progressive startups and they would adopt and use such a new system and give us feedback and we could learn. The very first thing we launched was health insurance enrollment for new businesses. When they want to offer health insurance to employees, they could just come to Zenefits, look at a CAC style coating engine. If you're using a health insurance broker, they are probably going to get you four or five options from four or five insurance companies. But there is a reason there are 60,000 plans in the U.S. There's, it's not one size fits all. So by offering an online searchable experience could let business owners and HR managers and folks find the plan that was right for their employees, that was right for their business in terms of both the benefits that they offer as well as the cost that it's going to cost them. So just making it transparent was, was the first step. And we built a TurboTax style enrollment engine where you could just click, click, enter a few things, sign online, and boom, you're done. And we would then send an email to all your employees. They can come and choose plans. And then we put the entire package together and send it to the insurance provider. Uh, the very first version, like it was all beautiful and clean in the, on the website. In the back end, we were actually writing all those forms ourselves and faxing it to the, to the, to the insurance carriers. <laughs> I mean, but that, that was like the, the MVP, right? Something to market, to validate that. And... So yeah. that technology, what were some of the, the earlier complications that you ran into with that model of, of the backend? I think partly as soon as we launched, we found that our original thesis and the vision, like that was the real true one because people didn't want somebody to just do benefits, just do health insurance. 
but they wanted somebody to take HR, payroll, benefits, and all those other associated stuff like off their hands and wanted somebody else to do it for them. So I think that was the very first validation. That was that came as soon as we launched on TechCrunch. We had a few thousand people email us and asking us like, oh, like, do you guys do HR and payroll as well and take all this away? So we were like, okay, that's the next step. So it kind of like really validates what we wanted to do. And we just kept going from there. So they were just kind of like, where's the rest of it? And and we had to launch probably six products with two engineers in our first year. So knowing what you know now and and how that the market demand evolved from what you thought once you launched, what would you have done differently? Would it be on the front end? Would it be number of, of services offered? Would it be the back end to support scaling faster? You know, what what changes would you have made in that first planning? Yeah, so I think there's a few things. Having worked at a hedge fund and having worked at these high frequency trading and all that stuff, like one thing I knew was we had to pick something very simple. We couldn't complicate the infrastructure, couldn't complicate the technology choices because like technology is a means to an end. We just wanted something that doesn't get in the way. One. Two, we were just two of us. Like, so if things went really badly wrong, we wanted to be able to pull in experts to help us. So we picked the technologies that had the widest amount of experts available to be able to do that. And the second thing is, of course, like I probably would have made different choices knowing what I know today. But if we had made those choices, would we have got here? Like, I don't know. Like it's hindsight mm-hmm. is 2020, right? So I probably wouldn't change a thing. Although like I often say like, man, I wish like we'd just done this. Like we thought about stuff, but we said, nah, we can do it later. Because if nobody was going to use your product, like what does building beautiful edifices and castles mean? Like if nobody comes. Mm-hmm. And so I know you just made this big change on the front end and you moved to a React platform. So what were some of the driving factors that caused this change? Earlier, we picked this framework called Ember, primarily because it had like a full-on like front-end to back-end connection. And we were building a lot of enrollment forms and stuff. So we wanted to kind of move really fast. But it sort of like lost its usefulness over time because one, being able to hire people with a certain skill set it felt like React had one, so it makes it easier for us to like hire people. Two, with React and React Native, which is getting better every day, it enables us to use our entire engineering team of 80 to 100 people to be able to develop mobile experiences. And often, like when we started out, we started out with a small mobile team that did iOS and Android, but we found that it was hard for them to like just keep pace with an 80-person team that was developing products all day long. So how do we bring all of our stuff, like the goodness that Zenefits does, into a mobile experience like faster? How do we scale this thing? So we thought if we could give the 80 people and integrate with their workflows and give them the ability to be able to do mobile for stuff, it would scale better. I mean, like most things at Zenefits, like we try and experiment a lot, but one of our mottos is like make new mistakes. So everything is a grand experiment in progress. So we'll find out like, maybe I'll talk to you in a few years and tell you how it went. Yeah. I mean, when people talk about mobile first, oftentimes they're thinking about that touch point, but sometimes there's things that have to happen internally, organizationally, technology level to even enable what's about to take place on that, on that mobile facing front. And so I'm curious, you know, what were some of the impacts made by this transition and what are the things that it's setting you up to do to be more mobile first? We often talk to customers a bunch like I try and talk to at least a couple of customers like every few months or so. So one of the customers like told us the story of so one of the very first things we did on mobile was this thing called employee directory. 
which is essentially to quickly look up who is who, their photo, their email, their contact information within your company. Mm -hmm. So this person who used that employee directory app told us how useful it was to them because they run this bunch of physiotherapy clinics in New York and they travel to different offices. And he said that before going into an office, he usually pulls up the Zenefits app, looks at everybody in that location, kind of associates a name to a face. So when he walks in there, like he talks to people by their names. And I thought, man, that's such a powerful one, like leadership technique. And, and the fact that we were able to give him access to information when he needed it, where he needed it, on the go, just before he walked in, like it was, it was very gratifying. And so what I'm hearing is by making this transition, you're able to just give information quicker and more and be more contextually relevant so, so you can move throughout or oh, oh for sure because like very few employees like work all day at their desks anymore like i don't carry my insurance cards anymore physical insurance cards anymore because it's all on my zenfits app people request vacations when they're out with friends or they're planning vacations with their family that's when they need to do it people need to check what balance they have on their commuter benefits card at the train station or at the bus station, not on their desktop while at work, right? So just by having access to these key pieces of information that can kind of work with you rather than you trying to work with some other system, I think that's important. Like we mostly come at this from a what would make sense for me as an employee or what would make sense for people as a whole and why do systems have to work the way they do today? So it's it's just a natural evolution of like where... Everybody has a phone today. Most of it are smartphones and people have access to this information. Data is good. Technology has improved to a level where you can do all these things really well. So I think it's just a natural progression of solving problems. So in this evolution of you know what the customer wants and what you found out and the technology needed to support that, what are some of the key things that you learned that you maybe didn't expect? I think one of the things is people are more used to a Facebook-style experience or a Twitter-style experience and generally consumer apps-style experience than an enterprise product experience. And I think we ask ourselves, like, why does enterprise software have to be shitty? Like, <laughs> nobody started out saying, I'm going to build a shitty enterprise software, right? Like, they usually build something and it takes off and it sells really well and then they're selling to these large companies and these seven-figure deals. There are customizations to be added. They add those customizations Suddenly they're doing, if they're really successful, they're doing half a billion dollars or a billion dollars in revenue and they don't recognize their product anymore. I'm sure nobody started out saying like, I'm going to build a shady product, right? Mm -hmm. So like that is something like we keep aware of, we are cognizant of, but also our customer helps. Like we're not selling to these large like enterprise customers where seven figure deals and we have that pressure of customization. Like we're selling to smaller companies where the expectations are like ease of use. You shouldn't have to have a learning manual or a book or a course to learn how to use benefits. Like it should just work the way that you expect it to. I think that's like key and that's been like really important. And like we hear it from customers all the time. Like one of the reasons they appreciate the platform is because of the ease of use. So you mentioned this, this threshold to customization. I think that's really interesting. So by the customer that you're serving, it almost forces you to be simple in the solution that you're providing, but in doing that, it lends itself more to consumer experiences or, you know, apps that are in the customer or in the, um, you know, the app store in that domain to where it's, it's not so enterprisey. Have you thought about that or, or is that kind of like baked into your strategy? Yeah. I mean, we, we've been 
thinking about this from day one like how do we avoid like becoming that like enterprise software that we all hate right mm. we don't want to turn into the thing that we hate like i don't want to wake up one day and like man like what have we done right? <laughs> <laughs> uh, we didn't need the world to have one more shitty enterprise software so so we think about it as like configuration over customization we think about how do we even if we have to build bells and whistles and different kinds of ways to do things we think about it from first principles and kind of how do we make it really easy for somebody to do this for example right one of the things that any hr system needs to have is a robust set of like roles permissions and approval flows and all this stuff mm-hmm. so we come out of the box like once you set up your org chart and your hierarchy and structure like we have out of the box like permissions and roles based on just who you report to who your manager is what your approval should be and so on and so forth now people can go and tweak it and make it customize it and make it different but just having that out of the box solves the problem for most companies right like that have 100 200 300 employees right and then if you really need customizations above that like you have the ability to do so so that's just one example of of how we make it we try and make it as simple to set up and use as possible and we also think a lot about how do we make something frictionless um like people are used to man like i'm used to instant gratification these days like i don't want to wait my patience threshold is becoming lower and lower and that's something i worry about actually uh, <laughs> but how can i just do the thing that i want to without the software or anything else get in the way that's something that that our product managers our design folks like think about like all day every day so i think it's really easy when when you get in this like creative mentality it's like oh we could add this thing or this would be really valuable and, and- you get the scope creep and all these really cool what if features take place. So how do you avoid creating what you call, you know, a shitty enterprise solution with all these widgets and customizations? Like how do you filter that? So it's it's important that everybody is the guardian of that. Everybody needs to understand the ethos of what we are trying to do. I think some of that stuff is is cultural. I mean I've tried a lot for a long time to kind of like figure out like what is this culture thing that people keep talking about like how do you define it how do you make it tangible because it just means so many different things to different people mm-hmm. but the best explanation i've heard is culture is a thousand things a thousand times right and it has to be repeatable it has to be the way you make decisions so some of it comes with ownership which i think we we touched upon a little earlier mm-hmm. but this idea of extreme ownership the fact that the people who make these products own these products they're responsible for it it's got their name written all over it they have great power to make decisions about everything but they also have great responsibility for for making that product successful like we try and keep the design team together as a as a services team where so that they can have a point of view that's common across all of the applications we try and keep the ui engineering team together and they build components and so on and so forth so every product becomes lego blocking of existing components and we try and build all the stuff into the components like so, so that nothing gets too complicated like if you need to put a sensitive field you just use the sensitive field component and you don't try to reinvent the wheel all the time and if you need to change the way that we do sensitive fields everywhere we just need to do it once right uh, like those are some of the more practical like tactical things that we do mm-hmm. but at the end of the day everybody has to be the guardian of this everybody needs to understand like why do we build products why do we do it the way that we do why is friction bad and i think at the end of the day when you tell them like hey would you be proud of using this product i think that's it's a pretty decent bar what it sounds like is you have a structure in place that makes this thing repeatable every time by department you have essentially these guidelines that 
you've established so that everything is kind of thrown against those guidelines to see what it is so that it doesn't get to that extreme of, of that enterprise solution with all the customization widgets and stuff. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think we've done, I would say we've been like 60 to 70% successful. Things still slip through, but mm-hmm. we catch it while doing product reviews or launch reviews. And sometimes you find stuff that doesn't make sense. It's like, Hey, like, does that make sense to you? And try to walk through first principles of like, why I think it doesn't make sense or why somebody else thinks it makes sense. And sometimes they're right and I'm wrong and that's fine. But it's good to have that conversation and have multiple checks and balances. Sometimes it's already in production, like we find it because we use benefits every day. Mm-hmm. So like I'm trying to do an admin task and I find this really weird report thing or an interaction pattern. And I'm like, wait, like this goes against like the grain of everything that we do. So can we fix it or try and understand why it was built that way? Because I, th- I think everybody has the right intentions and they try and make the best decisions. Mm-hmm. Sometimes maybe they don't have the full set of facts or maybe I don't have the full set of facts. So I, I generally try to have like strong opinions that are weekly held. But because we use the product ourselves, because our HR folks use the product, because everybody in the company uses the product, I think that's another like checks and balance uh, kind of a thing. Yeah, that, I mean, that is a really good point. You use it in the company, not for testing purposes, but also because it's, it's something that you're your company needs, your team needs to use on a daily basis. Oh, yeah. Uh, you mentioned, you know, some of these principles and things that you run through when you're determining if it's a good fit, if it's not a good fit. Is it, are these like set principles that you have or just kind of like rule of thumb? So it's a combination of both. I think we have a bunch of like, from an engineering and R&D perspective, like we have a bunch of like guidelines or guiding principles. One is don't try and like make, build these beautiful castles that nobody will come to. Like try and front load your hypothesis, build something, talk to customers. We have a fairly extensive set of checks and balances and feature switches and whatnot to make sure that we can deploy code every day, but nothing gets launched until like you choose it to get launched. So you can turn on a feature for one customer, go talk to them, see how they use it, get feedback, make it better. So we believe in that kind of an iterative development. So that's one thing that we try and drill into everybody. The second thing is like make new mistakes which is it's okay to make mistakes. It's human to make mistakes. But if we make a mistake, how do we make sure not only we don't repeat it, but nobody else can repeat it, right? Like how do we put that collective memory back into the system? So I think this is like institutional knowledge or whatever we want to call it. But I am a big believer that institutional knowledge is not truly institutional knowledge unless it's codified or automated or somewhere where it's, it's an automatic checks and balance. So we try and do that. Sometimes it's simple. Sometimes it's a six-month project. And then finally, the last thing is about ownership. Like we want to empower people to make decisions. We want to empower people to go talk to different departments. It's And then try and like have that, the same thing that I had at DE Show where the merit of my idea when I was a lowly intern, like on his like third day, do something. Like try and how do we like kind of like create that environment? That's the three three-part thing that we try and do. I, I want to iterate these because so, I think these are really, really big. So the three parts, making sure you have an iterative environment so they're able to get things out and test things and continue to improve on them. And then moving from that, make new mistakes. You know, it's okay that we're making mistakes. That's just part of being a human, but it, making sure that we're, we're progressing in living. So we're making these new mistakes. But then what I think is really cool, this third one is, is going back to your roots. You know, what allowed you to get to where you are? It's empowering the team so that they have ownership in creating these new ideas. And then they have the framework with being able to make mistakes and iterate on these mistakes to move some of these ideas forward. I think those are the, those are the fundamental aspects. 
I think I think they they worked well for us so far. So Lux, what's one of the coolest things that you're working on right now that you want everyone to check out? I think like we're working on a bunch of things. We just launched our new performance management product, which is kind of super lightweight feedback. Getting getting, I think one of those things like having scaled the company and having run teams of like larger sizes. We've tried to do like a bunch of. We ran a bunch of experiments, I should say, like how to do one on ones. How do how do everybody think about their performance metrics and we try to be a little smart about it because once you establish a metric, it stops becoming useful because people try and game that metric. So we try and say, like, how do we pick metrics so that they balance out each other? Right. So originally we picked up, picked up, like we picked out these metrics, like which is P- velocity versus quality. Right. You must be a really amazing engineer if you can get a ten on both, but people should strive to get a 5-5, five, five, right? And then the other thing that we had was how independent you are versus how do you prioritize, which is for career development. So like a bunch of things that we've run internally in terms of finding out, like how do you provide this kind of like, how do people know if they're doing well? I think that's important. And then like we tried, we, we, we instituted one-on-ones. We tried to come up with structured questions that managers can ask. Like every management course you go to, like we'll say one-on-ones are really important. Every business book that you read about management will say, like, do one-on-ones. You can't skip it. Ben Horowitz talks about it and his hard things about hard things. But in reality, nobody does a good one-on-one. Or, like, most people don't do a good one-on-one. It's usually two people staring at each other and talking about status and projects, right? So how can we help change that? Right? Like, that's kind of, like, where we started out with, like, if we were to build a performance management product, how do we take some of these processes that already exist in companies and make it a little better, provide a little more support to folks? We started with providing a basic, simple, being able to do a 360 review, a performance review stuff. But we're working on a one-on-one support product, which I think is really cool. Uh, we already know your org chart. We already know like who the managers are, who they, who they, who are the people that report to them. So wouldn't it be cool if I were a manager and I go say, hey, schedule one-on-ones with all my folks on a bi-weekly basis. Because we already integrate with Google and Office 365, we can go look at calendar, free busy information, schedule all those things, right? And then we'd give you like, hey, like we found it useful when one-on-ones have structured questions. So we're going to provide a few templates for you to choose from, or you can create your own template. And that provides like a kind of basic setting to what do you talk about in a one-on-one? And then 24 hours before one-on-ones, like we remind both people saying, hey, your one-on-one is coming up. Like, do you guys want to set an agenda or here are the notes from your previous one-on-one so that you remember what you talked about last. So it's just helping people do the thing that they always do, but in a little better way. I think that goes a long way in kind of empowering people to do their jobs instead of like focusing on this administrative stuff, right? Like people don't want to do one-on-ones because they have to do one-on-ones. They should do it because it adds value. So I think like that is something that, that we are working on that I'm really excited about. The other thing I'm really excited about is because Zenefits connects all these systems and talks to all of this like business software, we are in a unique position to do a lot of fun stuff with data. And how can we provide people insights? And how can we give them useful, actionable information? Because we have more than 10,000 customers users, like we could have a great opinion about what should a good salary you pay to somebody at this level be? Or what kind of benefit should you offer? So, so is somebody at risk of leaving your company because they haven't been promoted and are not paid as per market, right? So those are the kind of things that that we are also looking at, and and I think those will be really valuable. 
And so I know you have website apps, you have all the social channels. Where do you recommend? And we're going to link to all these in the show notes, everybody, but where do you recommend one or two places we go to keep tabs on, on all these amazing things coming out? I think the Zenefits.com blog would be the best place where we often talk about new products. If, if somebody is running a business, they should just sign up for Zenefits.com. We have trial accounts and uh, all our new stuff will be available on trial accounts. So you can give it a spin bef- before you even want to decide you want to use it. All right. So make sure to link to that in the show notes then. So head over to Zenefits.com, check out the blog. That's where you're going to be able to keep up to date with these initiatives that the Lux was just talking about and being able to see what's coming next because he's empowering his team to come up with these really cool ideas. So make sure to tune this Friday as well for a rapid fire round where Lux will be sharing some of his most valuable resources. Well, Lux, I really appreciate you taking the time to join us today. It was an absolute pleasure to have you on. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. It was, it, this was fun. Hey, thank you for listening. For additional resources on how to increase sales and performance with your mobile experiences, head over to www.emergemobilefirst.com and select the Get Free Resources button there at the top and gain instant exclusive access to tools and resources from all of our guests aggregated into one single place just for you. Now, I'm looking forward to digging in with my next guest, but until next time, think mobile first.